inviting, inclusive. Welcome to Brookside Community Church. Our scripture lesson this Sunday comes from Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 through 42. Hear now the word of our Lord. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. For those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive the prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives an, even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in my name, truly I tell you, none of those will lose their reward. But flags are totems that allow us to imagine and identify with our community. But the flags that we carry tell the world who we are and what we stand for. So in this passage from Matthew 10, we hear Jesus say, If you want to follow me, you have to carry a cross. It's amazing the things that we take for granted and how things change over time. On Tuesday, the streets here in Brookside are going to be flooded with people waving flags, right? The streets are already lined with flags, and they're going to be, I'm sure, flag t-shirts, flag balloons, and I bet you will even see flag-colored ice cream or some flavor of something that's blue, red, and white. And since we want to honor our country and have a little bit of Jersey pride as well, I bet you we will honor the boss by having flag-colored uh, bandanas, right? I bet you will see one of those. But it wasn't long ago, you know, when people were a little bit more reserved in their flag-wearing. On the night of May 27th, 1970, how many of you were around back then? Yeah, May, 27, May 27th, 1970, if you can remember, is two years after the, the uh, DNC in Chicago in 1968. So uh, that puts it in context. If you turned on to watch the Merv Griffin show, you would have heard the CBS president, the president of CBS, Robert Wood, begin the program by explaining why, during a portion of the show, the guest would be blacked out. So at the beginning, if anybody remembers Abby Hoffman, he came out wearing a suede jacket, only to take it off in the middle of the interview to reveal that he was wearing, guess what? A flag shirt. So president of CBS, Wood, he explained that Hoffman's image was being blacked out Quote, because of the possibility of violation of law as to disrespect or desecrate the flag and to avoid affronting our viewers. My, how things have changed since 1970. 1970 on CBS, they could not even show an interview with Abby Hoffman because he was wearing, and he was famous for wearing everywhere he went, this flag shirt. This week, while Americans 
carry, wave, or even wear flags to show their patriotism, our text this morning calls us to be bearers of a different totemic symbol, the cross. Now, I don't, I don't currently want to spend any more time this morning really comparing the flag to the cross or the relationship between patriotism and Christianity. That's subject for another conversation. But the conversation, I think, is needed. So, but now what I think it would be more fruitful time spent together is to say at least this, that sacred totems are symbols that, and any student of Durkheim would know this, they work to shape our imagination, the imaginations we have of ourselves and our communities. Our totems, these symbols that we use, they shape our imaginations of ourselves and our communities. In order for a community even to exist, Durkheim, the founder of the discipline sociology, that's who Durkheim is. He says for a community even to exist, it first has to be imagined. And that imagination begins to take shape around the sacred community's symbols. For instance, the American flag or the Christian's cross. To be a carrier of the cross is to identify yourself with God. But it's a particular kind of God, a particular character of God that the cross reminds us of. It's that God suffers with those who suffer. In our text this morning, Matthew 10 tells us that we're continuing the passage here with Jesus. He's giving his marching orders to his disciples just before he sends them out. And he says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Take up your cross. Whatever does that mean? For most of us today, our understanding of the cross, here's one of them, uh, is very limited. We use it as an adornment, an adornment to decorate our altars or to make, mark our buildings or even we might hang one around our neck. But that doesn't mean, I think, that it doesn't have meaning for most of us. It just is one of those things that's around, like the golden arches. You just see it and kind of know what it means, kind of know what it symbolizes, but you have no idea, really, where did that come from? What does that mean? Why did they choose that? For most of us, the meaning that we have of the cross, if we have one at all, has been spiritualized and really disconnected from the narrative of the gospel. But the work that we're doing here is to try to read the narrative, to understand the story, to get the sense of what Jesus is saying in the context of that, that he's saying it in. There's this uh, famous guy, you may have read him, Henry Nouwen, and he writes a lot of stuff for pastoral care and uh, people who are doing uh, counseling and trying to meditate on suffering. And he says this. He says that when we see the cross, we see God's suffering love for a hurting world. I agree with that. In fact, actually, I agree with most of what Henry Nouwen says most of the time. But he also says this, he says, maybe we can, we can stand, maybe we're handicapped. Maybe we can't study. Maybe we suffer from depression. Maybe we experience some conflict in our families. Maybe we are a victim of violence and abuse. And maybe we didn't choose any of this. But these things, he says, are our crosses. We can, we can ignore them. We can reject them. We can refuse them or we can hate them. But we can also take up them, take them up as crosses and follow Jesus with them. Well, it's not that I think that Nouwen is totally wrong here. 
I just think that there's enough distance between what he says here and the historical context of the gospel that it actually might cause some problems. And here's the major problem I would say it causes. It could be quite easy to take pastoral phrases like this that are meant to help people who are suffering find meaning in their suffering and turn them into theological justification to say that suffering people are suffering because God likes it. That God likes it when you suffer. Now, to say it that way is obvious enough. Most of us would say, surely you don't mean that. But when you listen, you will hear some people say, well, God has just given me this, or this is just my cross to bear, as if somehow or another God gets glory in the fact that things are not good for us, that we suffer. But I think nothing could be further from the teachings of Jesus. There's nothing in the cross, see, that says that God likes it when we suffer or that anyone suffers. What the cross teaches us, rather, is it's not our suffering that's redemptive. It's what we choose to do with it. So let's look this morning at the context of the text that we read and see what it says. The cross was a tool of torture. That's what it was. State-sponsored execution. It is one of the most horrific, violent images of all history. Our modern-day equivalent, if we can say, though we can say probably this is much more humane, that's debatable, is the electric chair. For generations back, you know, it would have been like a lynching tree. And by the way, if you have not read James Cone's The Cross and the Lynching Tree, I would say that's your homework. See if you can find a co copy of The Cross and the Lynching Tree and see how the African-American community in the 20s and the 40s thought about the cross when they saw hanging bodies on trees. The cross, see, was a tool of execution and of torture, but it was also a tool for propaganda. Anybody in here study ancient Roman history a little bit? You might have come across uh, the name of somebody named Spartacus, you know, that slave rebellion leader who gathered up his troops to go and travel into Rome, right? The cross, see, in ancient Rome, crucifixions were used as a means of execution, and they were used for centuries. And one of the most famous examples to illustrate its usage was a massive crucifixion in the 1970s after Spartacus led his rebel uprising of slaves. Contemporary sources, sources at the time say that the entire Appian Way was covered with crosses. Now, that's the road, that, the main road leading into Rome. It was lined from Rome to, to Capua with 600 crucified bodies. Crucifixion was an excruciating way to die. And Rome didn't impose this kind of punishment on its own citizens. It was a way of showing what outsiders, what rebel, rebels look like. This is a way of telling you if you don't do what we say, if you speak up or out of turn, this is what will happen to you. This horrific device of torture, we hang around our necks and have no sense of its historical connotation. It would be as if someone who was leading a revolution was executed with the electric chair, and then in a few generations we started having electric, electric chair symbols hanging around our neck. You can see how crazy that this is. These totemic symbols, they change over time and they become symbols of our community, but oftentimes we have no idea what they mean. 
And Jesus is calling his followers, and some of us would claim to be in that camp, to take these things up, to make it our symbol, to say that we identify ourselves with this. Whatever could he have meant? See, when Jesus was calling his followers to take up their cross, I think he was referring specifically to what anyone would expect to happen to revolutionaries. Jesus was calling his followers not to be passive victims of the powers of death that are at work in the world, like oppression, exclusion, condemnation, but rather to confront them head on, even to put their own lives in jeopardy. And this, if you heard it, is what I preached last week, that the church is like a circus who is supposed to be doing these death-defying acts standing in the face of death and saying, you don't make me scared anymore. Nothing about the cross, you see, says that God likes it when we suffer. If you look at the narrative, the book of Matthew opens, let's just go through this again, by presenting a, con uh, a competition between kingdoms. That's the very first thing here. And John starts saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and Jesus is baptized, and the voice of heaven speaks out and says, this is my beloved. But then what does Jesus do? He goes into the wilderness and is tempted to prove his belovedness. But rather than prove his belovedness, belovedness what does he do? He comes out and preaches his first sermon, charting a community, telling them, mostly outcasts, marginalized, sick, oppressed people, that they are God's beloved. And then he goes around acting as an alternative boundary keeper, finding everyone who doesn't belong and telling them that they're God's beloved. And he starts drawing this massive crowd around him. And at every turn, the people who are in charge get more and more agitated with him. If you know much of the history, you remember that it wasn't long before Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated that he said, I have seeing the mountain, right? And I'm looking over, but I'm not going to be able to get there with you, right? He knew that this was coming. In the story here, Jesus knew that the cross was what was laying in front of him because this is what happens to revolutionaries. If you speak up and say things and you start making those in charge a little bit nervous, you should expect that this is the way that they're going to respond, Jesus says. Nevertheless, if you can't carry that cross and identify with it. Maybe this is not for you. It was the suffering of the sick and the demon-possessed, see, that provoked Jesus to work his healing. This is the logic I want to get to you this morning. It wasn't that people were sick and hurting that gave God glory. It was that they were sick and hurting, and that's why Jesus went to them to help. And it was by him going to them to help that put him in situations of danger. See, it didn't indicate that Jesus, that, that God likes it when people suffer. Rather, it said that when you act in terms of restoration and witness God's presence among those who are rejected, oftentimes you will find yourself in situations of danger. And now Jesus is sending his disciples to go out and he says, go and do what you saw me do. But be ready for trouble. If you want to be my disciple, the way that you identify yourself is by this, that you're willing to suffer to the utmost, even to stand next to those who are in pain. The cross reveals that God chooses to be present with those who suffer pain and rejection. That God is a God who suffers with us. So 
Here's what I'm saying. The message of the cross is that God is a suffering with God, that God suffers with us. And to identify with God means that we choose to identify with a God who is present amidst suffering, not a God who distances himself from it, not a God who separates from suffering or runs away from suffering, but a God who says, I will be present when you suffer. For those who suffer, this is good news. It's good news because those who are rejected, those who are hurting, those who are sick, this is the, the cross is the indication that God says, I will be with you even to this extent. Even to the extent that it will hurt me, I will be there with you. You don't have to go through this alone. And for those of us who are willing to dedicate our life to following Jesus, then we become bearers of the cross, illustrating the same message, that we are willing to go where God goes, to be with who God is with, to suffer with who God chooses to suffer with. God is a suffering with God, so we become a suffering with people. I'm choosing the term suffering with rather than compassion because I think just like the cross, we tend to turn words like compassion into words that are sentimental and, and have no action to them. Good news is not good news for everyone, though, and it's important to know that. Certainly, when we're reading the story, there are a lot of people who heard the message of Jesus and did not react positively to it. For those who have given their life to try to find comfort, privilege, and power, you see, the Apostle Paul says, the cross is foolishness. It's nonsense. But for those who seek to follow Jesus, Paul says, the cross is the wisdom and power of God. So, here's your homework. This week, I want you to think about something. You're going to see flags everywhere. Our public rituals hardly invite critical reflection of what those flags mean, or what it means even to be an American. And the most patriotic among us even, wearing clothes that are just a few decades would have been considered illegal or un-American, even them, mostly, have not taken the time to ask the question, what does that symbol mean? What kind of people does it make us? How do we imagine ourselves together? Well, I can't answer any of those questions. That's not my task. My task today is to say that as a Christian, this text tells us that Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you've got to carry a cross. The cross, see, we can reflect. We've got the courage to be able to say, what does this mean? And what kind of people does it make us? And I would say in this space, even if we came to the conclusion that the cross is no longer helpful for us, it's not redemptive, if it's not life-giving, we can just throw it away. But if it's going to be life-giving, we've got to dig into it and ask how. What does it tell the world about who we are? What does it tell us about who we are? Is it helpful? Is it useful? Is it life-giving at all? Here's my suggestion. This is my suggestion. You can answer those questions on your own. But for me, reading this text as far as we have now, it's a sign of hope. It's a sign of promise. It's a sign of telling us that the way that God lives and moves and acts in the world is to find those who suffer and to say, I hear you, I'm with you. And for those of us who follow this God, this God who reveals 
who God is through this device of torture. It's an image for us to remind ourselves that we identify with a God who says, I will be there with you even in the midst of the most horrific suffering. I will suffer alongside you. It's enough if we want to be aware of ourselves, to be honest about the suffering of the world around us. And rather than reject it, to dig into it and say, I can be there with you. Crosses like flags shape our imagination and how we identify with our community. They tell the world who we are and what we stand for. So, here's my question.